Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about another uh, Melville, Le Doulos, from 1963, which is long before Unflick, which we watched the other day. Yeah, it's about ten years earlier. And it stars Jean-Paul Belmondo, and it's another crime film. Le Doulos means the hat, and a, a title at the start of the film explains this, and it also explains that the hat also means the informant, someone who's a snitch for yeah. the police. So it kind of sets up for someone in this film is going to be a snitch. Mm. And I think one of the central, well, the central mystery, I think, of the film is who is it? Mm. You know, and it keeps you guessing. It keeps you questioning, I think. Yes. So tell me, you know, because so I got a message from you kind of (laughs) a, a third of the way through saying this is so boring, blah, blah, blah. So did you change your mind by the end? Um, not really. I wasn't that interested. (laughs) (laughs) I was quite bored by it, I must confess. Uh, there were things that I did like. I really appreciated how beautiful and expressive the photography is. There's this incredible contrast between light and dark, and it obviously it's in black and white. Um, and I think that's kind of beautiful. And you were, ta- you were telling me, well, Tarantino loves this, and he's, he's called it a great influence upon him. So maybe think about that. And I, kind of, I can see why he would say that. You know, mm. especially if you look at um, Reservoir Dogs, like mm. the central one of the central things in Reservoir Dogs is who snitched. Mm. You know, and it's only right at the end of that film that it's revealed after everything's kind of been and gone. But there's also a kind of I don't know. There's a style to the Frenchness of it all. Yeah, you know, a, a kind of lackadaisical, like n- different to what I was saying when I when we watched Unflick, and I was saying it's like people are just going through the motions. Mm. That's not, I think. I don't think that's exactly the case here. Mm. People seem to have more life in them. But still, there is a, like I say, a lackadaisical style about the way things happen. I don't think it's lackadaisical. Lackadaisical is the wrong word because okay. it kind of implies that it's not purposeful and thought through. And I think, you know, you only have to look at the, at the shots in the film, you know, to see how precise everything is. By lackadaisical, I think you mean or I would agree with you if you meant um, that shots linger yeah kind of nothing moves at a quick pace yeah so yeah, I, think... I suppose I meant more the characters and the way the characters behave and and what you kind of feel that their internal monologues are and their motivations mm. um, you know if you compare it to an American sort of gangster film of the same era or maybe a little bit earlier they would be more active. I think people would feel like they had more, more of a drive behind what they were doing. Oh, you th- yes. <clears throat> I see what you mean. It's not like the characters in here let things happen. You know, they want things to happen, but they, they also, uh, I don't know, yeah, they, they kind of linger within the world that they're in, you mm. know? I find the films kind of sexy and moving and deep. Mm. So, you know, I mean, this might just be a question of affinities between us. Um, I think it's also a little bit of familiarity. I mean, I think it's like one of those things that the more you see and understand someone's style, the greater it becomes, you know? Mm. Um, So for example, I can't help but think of this film in relation to Le Samurai. And actually, you know, seeing it again today, it reminded me so much of Anne Flick. 
Yeah, that impassivity that people have, that they're not blurting out their emotions. You know, nobody has hysterics over anything, right? Um, you know, the kind of widescreen shots which are empty, except for like, you know, architectural framings of characters who largely seem isolated in the frame. Yeah, these are films that are not peopled by many characters, right? It's usually, mm. it's usually one person. Right. It might be three or four, but rarely more than that. Right. Kind of, mm. you know, within one frame. Uh, and so, you know, there is this sense of, you know, what is this world and who are these people? Right. And you do get a sense that everyone is kind of somehow alienated. So you think, what are these guys relationships with the women? Right. Is it all? Is it just a sexual thing? Are they just fulfilling a function? Right. You know, and then you think that and then it surprises you with moments of kind of tenderness or romance that are kind of exhibited via attitudes. Right. So at the end of the film, when, you know, Jean-Paul Belmondo's first thought is to get to the phone to reach Fabienne. Right. I mean, I thought he's going to call the cops or he's going to call a doctor or no. Yeah. What's important to him is this woman who he left and he used and you know you're not too clear yeah you get the sense that he's manipulating her and then there's something mm. kind of deep under that yeah yeah i love that on the other hand the way he treats therese yes well um <laughs> you know but again you get the feeling that like in a way this is all kind of very stylized and very movie-like right i mean these are not three-dimensional characters with a past or yeah they are kind of movie ideas really so of yeah. course you know what's important in this world is these women have snitched you know and actually the fact that they've snitched you know means that it's it's quite okay to kind of you know put them in a car and throw them off a cliff right you know uh <laughs> yeah uh so there's a different kind of code of honor amongst these men yeah and kind of in terms of you know, what's permissible and what's not permissible, you know. And actually, what ends up making a hero of the Jean-Paul Belmondo character is that he's loyal. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's interesting that I kind of feel like there's no clear bad guy in the film, unless I suppose you could say Therese, because she just snitches and that's kind of her whole thing. But out of the kind of hardened criminal types, you would expect kind of villain, hero, sort of thing. And actually, by the time by the time you get to the last sort of 15 minutes from the end of the film, um, everything looks like it's being wrapped up. Yes. And then it's just this uncomfortable loose end that he's paid this guy to kill him and, oh no, he's still out there. You know? Yes. Um, and then I think that gets you into a kind of classic criminal film noir ending where no matter what, everything is doomed and everyone has to die. I love the fatalism of it all. Yeah. Um, but I also love the different twists and plot turns and, you know, so for example, at the end when Serge Reggiani, yeah, explains why he killed the guy who was handling the jewels at the beginning of the film, you know, I kind of, I find it moving. So he only killed because the guy turned around and saw him with a gun pointed at him. Yeah, and you don't do that to a friend. You don't point a gun at a friend. So the only way out for him morally was actually to kill him, right? Yeah, yeah. I, thought, I thought that was like... The film is full of moments like that, which actually, for some reason, move me. Yeah, that the, there is kind of like this 
this code of honor, of friendship, of, yeah, kind of, you know, these people are leading their lives according to a code, and one that they know they'll lose, right? Because there's also that lovely bit of dialogue with Jean-Paul Belmondo, where he says, you know, in our business, you know, you either end up in the poorhouse or dead or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're characters with no way out anyway. It's just, it's just a question of how soon they'll end up that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. But still, he has a kind of cheeky smile on his face, somehow. Mm. There's something about Jean-Paul Belmondo. He always seems to have that about him. He's terrific. But, you know, the person who uh, most impressed me this time is Serge Reggiani, who plays Maurice, I think. Yeah, yeah, the kind of, I suppose, main criminal, if you like, in the film. Yeah. And I have an odd relationship to him because, you know, he's someone who I saw as a young boy, already very old. So it's kind of weird <laughs> for me to see him now younger than I am. Yeah. So, for example, there was that scene where they were going to go to burgle that house, you know, to crack that safe. And they go on the metro, which apart from it just being lovely to see the Paris metro in 1962 or, you know, whenever it was filmed, the camera then lingers on their shoes. Yeah, and th those shoes are very much like, I forget what they're called now, but, you know, those basketball shoes that cool kids now wear, right? Sneakers. Uh, sneakers, yeah. Aren't they? But are they're they? they have a name. They, yeah, they're kind of like basketball sneakers. Um, anyway... There's some significance that I couldn't read into that, yeah, that, you know, they were sneakers, uh, uh, but, you know, the camera kind of moving in close on them uh, mm. um, is something that, yeah, why, why is the film bringing you attention to this type of shoe? Presumably because it's completely different than what they normally wear, which is like suits and hats and fedoras mm. and, you know, overcoats and so on. Um, yeah. But anyway, I thought kind of... I thought he was marvelous, really. Uh, you know, so kind of charismatic. I mean, the thing about this film is that, I mean, we're used to seeing Belmondo now, yeah? But, you know, kind of Belmondo was somebody who wasn't considered typically attractive, yeah? There's something odd about his face, yeah? Uh, you know, the mm. long face, the nose, and... You know, and yet obviously he's very he's very charismatic, yeah, and actually very sexy. Uh, and there's something about Sergio Reggiani as well, yeah. You know that like he's you know he's not kind of uh, conventionally attractive, but he's very charismatic, and I think he's very very good in this, yeah. Kind of he draws you in. It's, he's very minimalist in what he does. Uh, which yeah, well, was he was he a big star, Reggiani? Because he strikes me as a character actor type. Well, he was a character actor who was a star, though, you know, uh, he's, he's brilliant in a Jacques Becker film with Simon Signoret called uh, Casque d'Or, right? Uh, and then I think his career, you know, went through a kind of a trough in the 50s, you know, but then from the 60s onwards, you begin to see him crop up in all kinds of things, sometimes in starring roles, sometimes in, in supporting roles. He wasn't a star of the yeah. magnitude of a Delon or a Belmondo or a Gabin or anyone like that, you know, but he was like extremely famous as a, it, it, as a film Would he actor. be like, um, would he be like an Edward G. Robinson, you know, like the best known sort of character actor going? Um, 
the thing about Edward G. Robinson is that Edward G. Robinson was a real star, like Bogart <laughs> or Betty Davis. He was. He had sure. entire films built around him. He was huge box office. Where I don't think Reggiani was like that. But certainly kind yeah. of in terms of the type of characters he played, there are similarities. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about. And and, and I think there's a sim- there's a kind of look, he's kind of squat, round-faced, yes. uh, kind of etched etched in his face. You know, I mean, I don't know what he looked like when he was younger, but by the time he's in this, he's he, he has a kind of weathered look to yes. him in this. Yes. Um, and um, I think he's actually quite empathetic. You oh, know? yes. I, I mean, I, there's, I, a thing, there's a thing in this where you can tell people care for each other. Yes. And, and so there's a kind of contradiction, in a sense, between... On the one hand, there's no honour among thieves, and everyone is suspicious of each other. But still, they they actually they know each other. They have affection for each other. The John Paul Belmondo character is friends with the police officer. Yes, you know, and that's what makes people suspicious of him. Yes, in the film, the reason why they're often termed ex- existentialist, these films of Melville, is not because it's almost like the frame alone, the way they're framed in the image, makes them alone or lonely or cut off or behind Mm. the screen yeah um it's also that the films take on this idea of responsibility yeah what is it to be a good person in the world you know you are your actions and you always have a choice yeah that's kind of like you know part of the tenets of existentialism at least according to sartre right you are responsible for what you do yeah and you always mm. have a choice and you have free will. So how do you exercise that? And I think what you have in these films is, you know, all of these attempts by all of these people to actually do the right thing, right? Like, yeah, the right thing according to this kind of code of, of honor of like these thieves, right? You don't squeal. Yeah, you don't kind of uh, uh, put your friends in danger. You don't, yeah. So there's all these things about... Yeah, if somebody kills your girlfriend, you go after them. <laughs> yeah, or mm. or you're not fulfilling your duty. Yeah, it's a it's a kind of a weird code of honor. Well, not so weird. It's actually kind of you know uh, uh, very explicitly spelled out, so that actually you know why people have done or will do something, right? Kind of, and actually it's a very interesting thing because. You know, it all revolves in the film around past actions. Yeah, these are all things that have happened before that lead these characters to do something now. Yeah, that kind of, you know, so actually this this series mm, of you actions... You can't outrun your past. Yes. Uh, so, you know, it's a mood film, isn't it? You know, it really <laughs> is. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, maybe that's why I couldn't get into it as well, because I thought I can only handle so much Frenchness in like, <laughs> the space of two days. <laughs> I just need to space out the existentialism. <laughs> the film is very understated throughout, yeah? Kind of, you know, the yeah. significant... There's no screaming around, right, uh, about any of it. Uh, no, it's true. Even when, um, even when Reggiani realises that he's about to get Belmondo killed, and he says, give me your car keys... Mm. Again, it's it's kind of quiet. He doesn't say why, and it's not rushed. And he even takes a moment to look back at the guy before he leaves. It's not it's not um, it's not hectic. At any no, point. I won't be rushed. Uh, and actually, I like the way that the film leads you through these corridors. There are key flashbacks in the film that rework the story for you. Yeah, and mm. kind of and make sense of certain things because you know. So, for example, the bit in the film where 
you know, you see somebody unearthing the jewels and the money, yeah, where Maurice had left them. I thought it was Maurice, right? And then actually, because the camera doesn't show you the face for so long, you think, well, it can't be Maurice, right? It has to be somebody else, right? And then you think, how did they get the information? And I think the film is ethical in that it tells you everything. It doesn't cheat. Yeah, it lets you know exactly how everything got to be the way that it is. But it doesn't always tell it to you at the time you want to know it. Yeah. No, exactly. And those flashbacks do flesh things out. Yeah. I could see how the mystery is kind of built up and developed. And, there's the, and the questions that it's, it's asking you, the film isn't being unfair about those. And they are interesting. But I must say, I didn't care. Uh, <laughs> I don't care well, about the people. Let me find something for you. Mind you, I thought I thought it was quite it's quite nifty that Therese I think she's supposed to be like she's the central snitch. I think if she's if there's a if there's one Le Doulos in this, it's her. Mm. And I thought that was clever because women don't wear hats in this. Everyone else has got a hat on, all the men. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to find um Wiki has a nineteen sixty four review of the film when it was released in the New York Times. And it says, um, so the New York Times is very critical. It calls the movie tiresome and excessively talkative, uh, feels it's cluttered with confusing references to irrelevant events and considers the movie pseudo-intellectual and superficial. There's not, there's not much to recommend the picture, which is one of those feeble attempts to be philosophical and mordant about crime as a chosen career. Jean-Pierre Melville, who wrote and directed it, has so many scenes of mere conversation running through it, so many scenes in which plot is played in talk, that one wonders why his people need firearms. They can talk one another to death. <laughs> I think it's very wrong, actually, though I can see, I can see some aspects of it, uh, but I think it's very wrong. I mean, I don't think the characters talk very much, actually. What that review says about um, the characters or the, the film philosophising about crime as a career, if that's done through dialogue, I, I don't see that. The characters talk an awful lot, I think, about about the kind of mechanics of what's actually happening. You know, they question each other. What were you doing there? Do you know this person? Who gave you this information? All that kind of stuff. It's talking in that sense, I think. Uh -huh. I mean, there's that central scene, which I really liked, actually, in the police station where Belmondo is being questioned by two cops. And I think it's all done in one take. And it kind of and it rotates and moves around the room, and Belmondo is being asked all these questions and kind of dodging things, and then he will move and the camera will follow him, and then the other characters will catch up with him again, and and there's this constant thing of in that scene like of of attempted escape, but he can't. He'll end up sandwiched between these two officers again and again, which I really liked. The other thing that I don't agree with is where it says that the scenes are mere conversations running through it. Which implies, you know, that the mise-en-scene, or that it has no mise-en-scene, or that the mise-en-scene is somehow lacking or trifling. And I do actually think, you know, that the images are really so precise, right? I mean, one of the things that fascinates me about um, these films of Melville's in the 60s is that he uses widescreen and how he breaks up the screen. The image does give create the sense of people walking through empty spaces that are nonetheless kind of framed for you. So mm. there's always that geometry in the way that the scene, you know, that the image is broken up, either through a staircase or, as we saw in Unflick, 
through glass, you know, through offices, through you know, kind of seeing through windows. I mean, in this one, for example, there's that beautiful shot uh, of uh, Reggiani in the rain, kind of, yeah, uh, mm. go, trying to prevent, uh, you know, the murder that he set up. And the, the camera kind of just lingers. And, and what you have in that image is really, you know, you're seeing it through the window of the car and you're not seeing it fully because it's raining. Yeah, mm. and yet kind of the camera's lingering on that mood, yeah, of you kind of, yeah, not seeing, you know, and these spaces being kind of created where you can only partially see. I was very fascinated by that because there's a very famous shot in The Samurai which is just like that. Uh, and also there are other parallels, you know, the looking into the mirror, right? It's so interesting because the film begins with Reggiani going into this farmhouse looking into this mirror which is broken yeah and seeing his image in it so like yeah kind of his image is kind of a frame within a frame of this reflection yeah that mm. is nonetheless broken and then the last image in the film is Jean-Paul Belmondo yeah or it's, I don't know it might not be the last image in the film but it's certainly an image near the end of the film Jean-Paul Paul Belmondo looking in the mirror as well and this time mm. the mirror is a sun, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a sun shape, yeah, where he is fully kind of reflected in that. I thought, you know, I mean, I haven't studied these films. Yeah, I think this is only the second time I've seen it. Uh, and the first time was like 10 years ago or 15 years ago. But, you know, it almost makes you want to study it. Yeah, kind of. I think, <laughs> you know, there's so many, to me, really beautiful things in it. Yeah, that kind of you want to explore further. The royal you. <laughs> you know. I thought it was alright, but I'm not I wasn't bowled over by it and I was a bit bored and you know. I'm glad I'm glad it it looked so beautiful. Mm. You know. That really helped. I think it is shot beautifully and it seems to have been preserved and, and transferred beautifully as well it because a, it was, it was a incredible gorgeous, quality. It was a gorgeous Yeah, print. it looked gorgeous. And that was nice. Um So um does this mean that we're not going to be seeing? Uh, um... No, no, I'm happy to see the other Melvilles. Okay, good. Um, you know, this was the one I thought we weren't going to watch. Yes. Um, but, you know, and we have now. And The only reason why I chose it was just because I, I'd worked all morning, my head was dizzy, and 98 minutes seemed more attractive than 2 hours and 40. Yeah. 108 minutes, actually. It's 10 minutes longer than you said. You lied. Ah, sorry. I'd made a mistake. <laughs> Um, yeah, but we really must. I would love to talk about Army of Shadows with you. Actually, I think it's really one of the great masterpieces of of the cinema. Yeah, no, we'll, so, we'll do the other two. Um, yeah. But let's 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 watch something that isn't French before that to give me a break. Let's watch something crass and American. All right, well, you get the next choice. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but uh, so so I suppose we have a divided opinion here. But I would really kind of you know recommend it. Uh, it's. It is, to me, like a really kind of a beautiful uh, film. Certainly, if you're a, fr a fan of Melville in any way, it's a must-see film. I think if you're a fan of gangster pictures or of Tarantino, it's, it's, it's a film that will enhance your understanding of all of those categories. So, uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on... Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>